This podcast is presented to you by Pastors Tom and Bonnie DeShal from Celebration Church in Harare, Zimbabwe. For more information, please visit celebrationmen.org. Then open your Bibles to the book of Matthew, the 16th chapter. We're going to get there in just a second. Uh, today I want to bring a message that will, I believe, it, it's seminal to the Christian faith. I believe this is probably the singular most important message of the Christian faith. And so the message that we're going to be bringing, those bright lights don't need to be on, guys. Those are way too bright. Turn those back, turn back the yellow lights. I don't know why you just turned those on. Those are terrible lights. Guys, turn off the bright white lights. We don't ever have those on. I don't know why we just turned those on today. Too bright. <laughs> I'm up here blinded by those. Okay, uh, so the, the message of the cross is a very, very powerful, powerful message. And I want to make sure that we uh, grasp it. So today's message is the cross. If you're taking notes, uh, go ahead and just follow with me. Uh, I, you know, I said it's, this byline is that we're living in the fullness of the Christian life. And for those of you that are listening by uh, either internet streaming or on radio or however you're listening, uh, I, I'm going to ask that you really just let your heart open today to the Word of God. And for all of us, let's see what God has to say. Because we have to come to the understanding that the Word of God must never remain as just a letter revealed in a book or as tablets of stone that were carved as commandments or laws. Rather, we have to understand that the Bible, the Word of God, the Word that God speaks to you and I, has to become a revelation, a living Word, written on the tablets of our hearts. You see, God always meant for the Word of God to be on our hearts, to be in us. And it's not the law that you try to obey, it's the law that you live, the, the law that burns on the inside of you that matters, okay? So Jesus defined the life of a disciple as being a cross that we pick up and carry as we follow him. Matthew 16 says this, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. You see, the cross is the foundational and fundamental message of Christianity. Honestly, the only way for you and me as Christians to grow spiritually or to become whole men and women and become disciples of Jesus Christ is by embracing the cross. Now, the cross is not a popular message. We'd much rather hear, be blessed. We'd much rather hear, hey, listen, you know what? Life is not going to a cross. Life is just doing better. Well, the only way to life is through death in Christianity. The Apostle Paul, while addressing the Corinthians church, said that he had laid a foundation. 
And he declared the foundation to be none other than Jesus Christ himself. Listen to what he says. In 1 Corinthians 3, verses 10 and 11, he says, According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can be laid or, or, or no other foundation can anyone lay than that which was laid, which is Jesus Christ. So the foundation of our faith is Jesus Christ. But in order to understand the foundation of our faith, we have to understand what Jesus did and why it's so important that we build on that foundation, that we understand what it is. Galatians 1, verses 11 and 12 says, But I made known to you, or I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was, which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Here, here you have to understand, the Apostle Paul is receiving revelation not from a book. He, Jesus appeared to him. He says, listen, I'm going to give you the gospel the way it's supposed to be preached. He says, it's not from any other source but from me directly, the Christ. The Apostle Paul is preaching a gospel. He even goes up 15 years later to the, the, the church in Jerusalem and says, man, I hope I'm not preaching a miss. I hope I'm preaching a, the gospel that's truth. And he contests and he contends with the, the, the Jewish leaders up there and they find out that, hey, wait a minute, God's come to the Gentiles. God has set them free by the same method, by the same way that he set the Jews free, which was through a sacrifice, the sacrifice of the cross of Jesus. See, Paul couldn't separate what he had learned about Jesus from the message of the cross. He had a revelation of the cross. And so too, you and I cannot separate Jesus from the cross either. There is no, if there's no cross, there's no Christianity. See, Paul preached to the Corinthian church, Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's the message. Jesus Christ the foundation, and him crucified. That is, or I should say he is, the fundamental message of Christianity. So this morning I want to draw our attention to understand the meaning of the cross and its everyday place in yours and my lives. When we accept Christ, and it is true that salvation is freely given. So when we accept Christ, we have to understand what that means. Yes, we're forgiven from original sin. Yes, the power of sin is broken out of our lives. Yes, some of those very big things that we expected to be dealt with are being dealt with. But there's still a price to pay to be a Christian. The Bible says we're to be imitators of Christ. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. Jesus describes his life in the book of John, in this way. In John 10, he said, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received of my father. Now, I want you to notice in this verse, there are two parts to it, two very important parts. The verse describes that there is a loss in the first part of the verse. And then in the second part of the verse, there's a gain. There's something to lose and there's something to gain. He says, no one takes it from me, but I lay down 
I lay it down of myself. He's talking about his life. He says, I lay my life down all by myself. This is a voluntary act. God sent his son to die on the cross for the entire human race, for every person, and he did so willingly. He said, I have power to lay it down. He says, but I have power to take it up again. This command I have received from my father. See, here's what we have to understand. Jesus could have stopped halfway. Jesus. And, and, you know, and if he would have done that, then there would have been no redemption for mankind. If Jesus didn't go to the cross, and he didn't have to, he could have said, no, this is too much. These people aren't worth it. But he didn't. So when Jesus asks you and I to take up our cross and to follow him, we can either take it or leave it. You see, you and I also have a choice. We can live out our life the way we want to because we have a choice. But the result of not embracing the cross is that we will stay as baby Christians our entire life and will fail to grow into the spiritual man or woman that God wanted us to be. You'll remain at worst a baby and at best infantile or immature. You see, you can continue to fight with your wife or your husband, or you can allow strife in your family or your workplace or even in the nation. Or you can choose to pick up your cross and begin the maturing process and begin to live at peace. You see, it's a choice. Many people believe that Christianity is just a set of rules. You know, in our nation, we pay lip service to Christianity. Many of our, many of our leaders want to appear to be Christians, but they don't want to have to live the Christian life. Many of our pastors don't want to live the Christian life. They want to appear to be Christians, but they don't live the Christian life, which what? is to lay down their life for others, which is to die to self. And we're going to get into this today. The message of the cross is not something that is embraced easily. It's very, very, well, nobody wants to die. Tap your neighbor say, do you want to die? Say, pastor's here to kill you today. Just tell him, pastor's here to kill you today. You see, the cross and the message of the cross is about denying ourselves. My life, your life, does not belong to you, does not belong to me. See, if you're asked to deny yourself of your rights, which God does, then then it really means that your life doesn't belong to you. And we live in a world today that says, I have rights. I can do whatever I want to do. I don't have to do anything. Nobody can make me, and and, and you're right. Nobody can make you do anything. You have those rights if you want to hold those rights. But if you're going to walk in Christ, I have to tell you something. You lay down your life to live for Christ. You see, Jesus didn't revile anyone, nor did he come to his own defense. Both in life and in death, he carried a cross, a burden, for one purpose, to manifest his Father who was in heaven. You and I have been purchased with a price. 
The price was Jesus' life. His blood poured out and shed for you and I. And it was ultimately laid down for all of mankind. His life was laid down. But he laid it down personally for you and I on the cross. Scripture says we've been purchased with a price. So if we've been purchased, then in reality, we can't do what we want to do or we can't say what we want to say. We have to represent the one who purchased us. Are you listening to me? You see, we lose that right, that right to my personal preference, my personal determination when we deny ourselves and when we take up our cross. From then on, you don't decide. It's a lost life. It's a life that's been given and surrendered to Christ. Now, the cross, there's three, it's a three-part experience as it relates to Jesus and as it relates to our lives. So I want to go through those three parts. That will be our message this morning. It's the suffering, it's the death, and it's the resurrection. So anytime you're involved with the cross, you're going to see suffering, death, and resurrection power. Amen? So what is suffering? And, and how does suffering relate to our lives on a daily basis? I think that's a good question. I think it's fair to ask. What does this look like for me today as a believer? Well, the Bible describes it as persecution. It describes it as tribulations that come in many forms. Afflictions, hardships, painful situations and difficulties, including difficult people, difficult circumstances, things that happen in our lives. He says these are the uh, sufferings that we face in this life. I know that sometimes we preach the message of, hey, we're to be victorious in Jesus and we're to, you know, but you have to understand something. We become victorious in Jesus by overcoming. We become victorious in Jesus by dying to self and being resurrected in a newness of life. This is where the mystery of the body of Christ comes in. While we are suffering God says, I've placed you in a body. The body of Christ is there to help one another. You know, the more we suffer in Zimbabwe, you know what I'm seeing? The more you and I are beginning to fall in love with each other. The more we're beginning to say, you know what, I need people. I need you. I've seen some of you begin to build real meaningful relationships. Where in times past, you didn't need anybody. Why? Well, hey, because you could figure it out all by yourself. You never had to die to yourself. You could always stay alive somehow. Make a plan. Tell your neighbor, I know how to make a plan. But it may not be God's plan. God's plan is that he has a body, the body of Christ. It's at these times of trial where I believe deep friendships often, are often born where intimate relationships are fashioned and where we find faithful friends, where we find covenant relationships. Second Corinthians 
Chapter 4, verses 8 through 10 says, we are hard pressed on every side. This is Paul talking about himself and his followers. He says, we are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always care about in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. Boy, I tell you what, here's a picture of what suffering, death, and resurrection looks like. Paul says, hey, we're pressed, we're crushed, we're beaten down, persecution comes, it doesn't look like we're going to make it, we have to stand up against wickedness when we don't feel like it, we make statements, we, we, we do things that are righteous when everybody else seems to be unrighteous. And yet, when we do that, although it looks like we're caring about death in our body, it gives way to something more powerful that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our bodies as well. Paul describes how he went through hardships in many ways. In 2 Corinthians 6, verses 4 through 13, he says, Rather, as servants of God, we committed ourselves in every way. We committed ourselves in every way. Now, I'll tell you what, many Christians haven't committed themselves in every way. We commit ourselves in a few ways. He says, we committed ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles, hardships, distresses, in beatings, imprisonments, and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger, in purity, understanding, patience, and kindness, in the Holy Spirit, and in sincere love, in truthful speech, and in the power of God. With weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left through glory and dishonor. Bad report and good report. Genuine yet regarded as imposters. Known and yet regarded as unknown. Dying and yet we live on. Beaten and yet not killed. Sorrowful yet always rejoicing. Poor yet making many rich. Having nothing yet possessing everything. We have spoken freely to you Corinthians and open up our hearts to you. We are not withholding our affection from you. But you are withholding yours from us. As a fair exchange, I speak as to many, as to my children. Open wide your hearts also. Oh, Paul, Paul's making a case here. The Corinthian church was like Zimbabweans. <laughs> Gifted, intelligent, educated, smart, too smart, too clever. They were the gifted church, but they were probably the most evil. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says that. They, they had all the gifts. But I mean, they allowed everything to go on in the church. They were thieves. They lied to each other. They stole from each other. They defrauded one another. They even had sexual immorality going on right in the church. And it wasn't just little small houses, which was bad enough, like some of you. I'll tell you, you guys, that's going to go to the cross. Small houses will go to the cross. Even though our government is trying to fast track a bill today to get small houses. You know why we're doing that? Do you know why we want to fast track that? Because so many of our government leaders don't want to die to self. They are self-indulgent. Everything they do is for themselves. And the indulgence now that we will pass a law that will have such an impact, such an effect on future generations. Here's why. Once you unlock the door and say that marriage can be multiple partners, any partners, guess what that does? 
it says that polygamy and polyandry are allowed. Because anything that a man can do, a woman can do in Zimbabwe now. So why can't women have more than one husband? Oh, it'll come. It'll come. Oh, but hey, if we're going to have more than one husband and more than one wife, why can't we have same-sex partners as well? Because that's the exact door that's being driven to be opened up. And it's all because of selfishness. A few men that don't want to rein in their own sexual appetites. Don't want to die to self, but rather indulge self. And it doesn't take much to get an MP to vote for anything in this country. Take him on a little junket around the country. Take him, let him stay at a hotel. Let him drink as much as he wants to. Give him a per diem, and he'll vote for anything. Because he doesn't, that's true, because they don't think, they're not thinking today about generations to come. They're only thinking about the per diem and then what they put in their pocket. And it's time for you and I as believers to stand up to our politicians and to tell them, hey, this isn't what we want. This is not what's good for nation building. This is not what's good for righteousness. And some of you are afraid to speak because you don't want to go to the cross. You want to preserve your life and in preserving it, you'll lose it. You want to preserve Zimbabwe, but in preserving your life, you won't preserve Zimbabwe. We're losing the nation because we're losing the morality of the nation. Oh, these same people are trying to push bills for abortion. Oh, guess what? We're not going to have abortion anymore. Because why? Because our laws are too strong. So they're going to go in the back door. We're going to have 12-year-olds that don't have to tell their mothers and fathers about going to the doctor. They can get medical treatment at 12 years old without telling mom and dad, especially if it's an STD. Wouldn't you as a parent want to know how your daughter got an STD or how your son got an STD? Which uncle that was that's messing with her? As for me, that's under parental care, not state care. That's under parental care, not some clinic that I don't even know if they have enough drugs to take care of my daughter. Oh, no, no, no. So what we do is we close a blind eye to it. We don't say anything. We just keep quiet. Well, let me tell you something. If you keep quiet and these laws pass, it'll be the blood on your heads. The Bible says if the watchman sees trouble coming and doesn't speak, then the blood is on your head. But if the watchman speaks, then the blood is upon their head and judgment will come. But it may take a dying to self. It may be me having to go to the cross. Not convenient. Not fun. To stand for righteousness. And some of you don't understand why God has put you in places where you have. Where you are. You think, oh, it's just because of your cleverness or your connection. I'm telling you that if you're there at this hour, in this critical hour in the nation of Zimbabwe, you're there because God is doing something. God put you there. God gave you a voice and God gave you the authority to deal with it. These verses don't sound very exciting, do they? See... 
Paul was, it was a reality to Paul and his life and those who followed with him. It was their purpose. It was the cause. It was the, the cause of Christ. Today I want you to understand that it is God who gives us the grace to continue and to serve him in the midst of trials, in the midst of tough times, in the midst of tribulation, even in trials of sickness sometimes, or depression, or even injustice. God gives us the grace to continue. You remember Paul spoke about having a thorn in his flesh? Well, that thorn in his flesh, if you read the Bible, it wasn't sickness. It was a messenger sent to buffet him from Satan. What it simply meant was that everywhere Paul went, there was somebody there to persecute him. Demonic spirits stirred up the crowd, stirred up the Judaizers, stirred up the Jews, stirred up politicians, stirred up people because he spoke truth. Paul said three times he went to God. He says, he says, could you take this from me? He says, can you, can you take this from me? He says, it's too hard. I can't do it. And God said, my grace is sufficient for you. Let me tell you something. There's a dying that we all go through that leads us to a resurrection. Grace will always be sufficient in these times if we're willing, like Paul, to respond and act the way that he did. 2 Timothy 3, verses 10 through 12, listen to what he said. You, however, know all about my teaching. You know all about my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions and sufferings. What kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium and Lystra. The persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. The Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact... Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. See, you cannot identify your life with Christ and then play it safe. And you're either going to rescue yourself or you're going to be rescued by God. Woe to you that get rescued by yourself because your cleverness will not keep you. But when you allow God to rescue you, when you take your life and say, I'm willing to lay it down, then God will rescue you and he'll raise it up. Colossians 1, verse 24, he says, Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you. How many of you know if you really are serving God? How many of you know if you're really doing what God wants to? You take and stand in the gap. Often you'll suffer for another. I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you. And I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body which is the church. I have become its servants by the commission God gave me to present you, to you, the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of his mystery, which is, in Christ, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. 
To this end, I strenuously contend with all energy, with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. What is the energy that Christ works in Paul? Paul says, by my dying, I'm resurrected. I work in resurrection power. When I die to myself, when I suffer for the gospel, God strengthens me. It's God who causes the truth to prevail, even in the face of suffering. They beat me down, God raises me up. They persecute me, God protects me. They lie and slander against me, God redeems me. God gives me a resurrection power. I am beat down but cannot be kept down. That's the power of the gospel. It's no longer I that liveth, but Christ who lives in me. This isn't just for church. This isn't something you do on Sunday. This is every day of the week. Every position you find yourself in, you are no longer your own. You've been bought with a price. You are Christ's. I love it. He says, I, that verse 24, he says, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. Whew. What a strong statement. You know, whenever you go through a difficult time, I want you to understand something. Know this. It's always for a purpose. You see, some of you still think that life just happens. Somehow, well, it just, that just happened. You, and you're letting life just happen to you. No, no. Life is setting you up for you to respond. And when you respond in accordance with the word of God, God becomes real, becomes powerful, becomes meaningful in your life. Out of your life's struggle, out of the things you go through, someone else is going to benefit. Whether it's your children, whether it's a nation. Some of you are in positions where your suffering will cause the nation to be a better nation. Some of you are in positions where you think you're supposed to be running businesses. I'll tell you what, you got your eyes on business instead of on God. Seek first the kingdom and he'll add these other things to you. Seek first business and you'll probably lose it. Paul says, I rejoice in my sufferings for you. I rejoice in my sufferings for the church. In another place he said this, he says, I die Daily. Well, this is speaking of his manner of life that he lives for the gospel. Philippians 1.29, Paul said this. He says, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also suffer for him. He's talking to the Philippian church. These people went through hell. They were persecuted by their government. They were persecuted by... uh, These people just suffered. I have to tell you, you know, if you study the Philippian church, they were the suffering church. Yet they loved more than everybody else. Something happened. There was a resurrection power in the Philippian church that wasn't in any of the other churches. Paul loved this church above all the other churches. And he says, I know that you've been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him. And belief is very important, by the way. But he says also to suffer for him. See, we must accept that suffering will be part and is part 
of the Christian life. So if you're going to be in the will of God, you know this, you're going to suffer. You'll suffer for Christ. Part of the message of the cross, which we take up, has to do with our identification with Christ. You know, as a pastor, there's times I get embarrassed about what we do as, as churches. And even sometimes our church. There's things I think, oh man, you know what? I wish it was different. But where I find my greatest embarrassment sometimes is when you're with so-called people of renown. People that have, that are so-called somebodies. And I'm getting used to the fact that not everybody that thinks they're somebody really is somebody. It's just, you know, but you get this impression. And, you know, especially if you're around somebody who's very liberal and very so-called knowledgeable and very opinionated and very connected. It's hard to know how to position yourself because you, you, nobody really wants to be looked down upon. So when I get around some of these people, you know, and they don't know who I am. Oh, what do you do for a living? <laughs> now, I know what's going to eventually happen. We're going to finally get around to the point that I make my identification. But see, as long as I'm a motivational speaker, as long as I'm an author, as long as I'm a do-gooder, somebody who, you know, does a little bit of development work, a little bit of relief work, a little bit of, you know, helping other people. As long as I stay at that level, they're interested. It's like, oh, well, you know, which, which organize, do you work with the United Nations? Do you, uh, do, you, do, you, uh, do, you do TED Talks? Do you, uh, yeah, yeah. But as soon as you take that step, just one more step over the line and say, no, as a matter of fact, I'm a pastor of a church in Zimbabwe. Oh. Oh, yeah, yeah. See, as long as it's me, hey, they're interested. As long, but when I identify with Christ, guess who dies? Because now it's no longer I that liveth, but Christ who lives in me. So when you make a stand in your position, whether it be in a school government position, in a business, it doesn't matter where you're at, but as long as you take care of you, you're all right, because you'll be okay, Jack. Ah, oh, but the minute you step over and say, I identify with Christ, you die so that he can live. You die so that truth can live. Tap your neighbor. Say, I think he's talking about you this morning. Peter said it this way in 1 Peter 4. He said, dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come upon you to test you. As though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and the 
and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear his name. Man. You know, there was a time in the church, I, I, I know none of us do this anymore, but there was a time in the church where some of the church members were going to prison as thieves. And they're telling people, but I'm a celebration member. Now you're a celebration member that was a thief. He says, he says, suffer, but suffer righteously. Suffer for the cause of Christ. Don't suffer. And see, some, some of you are, are, are conflicted. So you're in position where you have to try to please two masters. God and money. Tough, tough. Some of you are getting compromised. You know, it's hard to be in politics these days because we'll give you a farm, we'll give you this, we'll give you that, we'll give you all these things. But then guess what? We own you. Well, wait, I've already been bought by a price. Christ owns me. How can you own me too? Somebody owns you. And as for me and my house, I want to be owned by God, by Jesus. And when I sin and I do compromise myself, I want to be the first person out of the box to say, I'm wrong. I'm renouncing that relationship because I'm married to another. Did it get quiet in church? See, I think we have to understand that all of us go through trials. We all go through things. I don't know any of us that haven't had relationship battles been slandered, hated. I mean, the list goes on and on. And, and, and it's real. These things are real. I, I, they're painful. But we have each other. See, this is how, this is a picture of how the cross works. The Bible says, this is love. That we lay down our lives for one another. That we lay down our lives for our neighbors. This is love. This is the cross. That I live not for myself, but I live to love. I live for someone else. What does Zimbabwe lack as a nation? Love of one another. Not love for ourselves. Why can corruption be so evident? And nobody can say anything about it because the people that are corrupt and have the power will weaponize against you if you say, hey, that's not right. I, I think we still should find the $13 billion that was missing when Robert Mugabe was president. <laughs> Let alone what's flying out the country right now every five minutes. There's something going wrong here. Oh, we're not supposed to see this. We're not supposed to know this. Guys... 
It's all over the internet. It's all over. It's, it's, it's all over what's going on. But we can't talk about it. It's wrong, folks. And it's for one reason. Because we don't love our nation. We don't love each other. We love ourselves more. If we could just take the wealth that is being personalized and turn it and say, let's build a great nation. There'd be enough to solve every problem. Yeah, amen in church, but we won't say anything. We don't do anything. We just... Well, you know how it is. Everybody's afraid. Number two, what is death? <laughs> We've just talked about what is suffering. What is death? How do we die as believers? What does this look like in our day-to-day -day living? Well, death is the breaking process that is happening to, in, each side, in, in, each, in each of us. Every time we yield to truth or every time we yield to Christ in us or when we die to our will in a situation, when we die to what I want in a situation to make way for God's will to be done. Esther was a woman who God put in the king's court Hey, and nobody knew she was a Jew. Oh, the king didn't even know. And now there's a decree that all the Jews are going to be. Hey. And Mordecai says, who knows, but that you were born for such a time as this. Do you know what her response was? I'll go before the king and I'll risk my life. If I die... I die. If I die, I die. She was as good as dead, let me tell you something. She knew. This guy had a rep. He had a rap sheet. He, was a, he had a reputation. Hazarus. Xerxes. Oh, my gosh. I mean, he would kill you for, I mean, look, he killed Haman. Just like that. See, when you die to self, God comes in with resurrection power. C.S. Lewis, the great Christian author in his book, Mere Christianity, said this. Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what he's doing. He's getting, he, he's getting the drains right and stopping leaks in the roof and so on. You know that those jobs need needed doing, and so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage. But he is building a palace he intends to come and live in himself. See, our idea and God's ideas may be two different things. 
How hard is it to truly repent towards someone? It's never easy. Ah, oh, to repent requires great humility. In fact, repenting is death itself. Your pride is being broken. You see, God having his hand on your life causes you to be aware of his presence. And then his grace is there to assist you in your dying process to pride. Dying to yourself and allowing Christ to be formed in you. Death is a process that needs to take place. When we accept to die, we don't hold on to our life anymore. By accepting to die, we're submitting to change. We're choosing to allow God to mold us, to work in our lives, to work in our personalities. It's painful, but it brings death to self. Dying to the old Tom Duchel in order to mature. You see, we have to realize that we need to die to the old man so that the new man in Christ can live. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 7 through 12 says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay. You understand what that is. Christ is in you. You're born again. His spirit lives in you. This is your jar of clay. Tap somebody say, can I just touch your jar of clay for a second? <laughs> we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We're hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry about in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Death is working in us, the scripture says. Death is working in us. Hey, nobody told me that when I came to Christ. What is this? You're telling me I have to die? Well, you don't have to do anything. But if you die... The old man dies and the new man, the glorious man, the Christ man, rises in newness of life in you. You become like him. That's the process. Suffering, death, burial, resurrection. God wants you to live the resurrected life. So what does he say in Colossians 3, 5? He says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Colossians 3, 8, and 10, 8 through 10, he says, But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Don't lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices. And have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of its creator. Do you see the pattern here? Putting off the old is the death process. Giving way to a new man. Putting on the new, 
which is being renewed in the knowledge, in the image of our creator. There's no way to become like Christ except to die to the old man. How many of you know two things can't hold the same place? And God chose the death process so that one part could die so another part could be resurrected. He says it's kind of like a seed. He says it goes into the ground and it dies. It goes in in one form and dies in that form but comes back in another form in a newness of life. He says, what you sow in death, you reap in a resurrection of Christ-likeness. But if you're not willing to die, if you're so self-preserving that you won't die, then there can be no newness of life. And what is life if you have all this world's goods, if you have everything, but you've never stood for anything? Galatians 5, verses 19 through 21. The acts of the flesh are obvious. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions. Envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. You see, only as we come to the cross will we find the grace to die to the works of the flesh. Now, you have to understand that there is pain in death. Tap your neighbor and say, there's pain in death. And that's why it's important that tests and trials, tests and trials are important to every believer. Because it's through tests and trials that God is able to break us. And he's able to mold us into the image of Christ. A time of testing and trial are important times in a believer's life. They're important in your life. Don't take them lightly. You see, we've come to the knowledge that the Christian life is an exchange. It's called the great exchange. We die to our old life in order to be able to live in a newness of life in Christ Jesus. That newness of life is called resurrection. Resurrection. We call this new life resurrection life. And how does this life manifest in our lives? This is my third and final point. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 10 through 11 says, We always carry about in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to, the de over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal bodies. <laughs> don't, don't shoot the messenger. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. Paul says, this is the revelation of Christ. See, you, we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake. That's the life of Jesus. That's so that his life can be manifested in our mortal bodies. 
life is always the product of death in Christianity. There can be no resurrection without a death and burial. The sequence of suffering and death is what leads to life and life abundantly. Resurrection life of Christ in us, the hope of glory. Unfortunately, death has to come first. You know, we always like to talk about the end product, which is life and life abundantly. We preach messages about the blessed life and praise God. God. And I, I believe we should. I think we should always point. But sometimes we forget the process to get to that point. We think that you can just come to church and be blessed. You think you could just keep living the way you do and then be blessed. We think we could just keep sinning and then be blessed. No, God says, no, die to your old man so that I can resurrect the blessing, resurrect the new life, give you the blessing. It's only after death that there's a giving away to new life or the newness of life in Christ. Christian life is defined by the cross. And we're called to take up our cross and follow it. But never forget, we're not looking at the cross, we're looking at the end product. I die so I know that there's a resurrection of life. Paul says, I die daily. He says, I'm glad I'm dying so that I can have what I hope for. The life of Christ in you and your life is when your life is hidden in Christ. We lose our life in order to gain his life. He must increase, I must decrease. That's what the apostle, that's what John says. He must increase, I must decrease. That's the process. We cannot remove the cross from Christianity because our faith, if we, if we do, our faith becomes powerless. There are many powerless Christians today. Why? Because they're not willing to suffer for Christ. They're not willing to identify with Christ. They're not really willing to make Christ center and front in their lives. It's in the dying that we live and that we share in the power of resurrection power. Ephesians 4.20, Paul said this, that however is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds. And to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. E, put off the old Tom Duchel, that old man. And I want you to know, it doesn't leave by prayer, but prayer helps. Prayer helps. See, when you're really praying, guess what? In a very real way, that's a dying to self and it's a yielding to something else. But it does come through denying myself and taking up my cross. It's an everyday attitude. It's a way of life. It's a way of thinking about others. It's about embracing suffering and about receiving his resurrection life. As we embrace the pain of the cross, the challenge of changing, we begin to access the power of the resurrection life. C.S. Lewis, one more time, he said this. The more often he feels without acting, the less he will be able ever to act, and in the long run, the less he will be able to feel. Some people don't feel anymore. They're without feeling, and they're unable to act. Let me tell you something. If you want to feel again, die. 
Because when you die, that's a feeling. That old man, embrace the change. That's a feeling. But guess what? It yields life. And now you'll feel a newness of life. You'll be alive again. The life of God, the life of Christ will be in you. Oh, I'll tell you what, the old man always rises up to resist death. It hates it. Which is why we're commanded to put off the old, put on the new. And only that gives room for the new manifestation of Christ in our lives. Flesh wages war against the spirit. Colossians 3 verses 9 and 10 says, Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self and its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. See it again? Put off, put on. Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Everybody say, I'm crucified with Christ. Well, almost, huh? Almost. See, I don't know how to say this. But if we're going to have a great society, if we're going to have a great church, if you're going to have a great marriage, a great family, we no longer are living for ourselves. We have to become dead to the old life. Therefore, it's no longer I that lives, but Christ who lives in me. He lives through me. As I yield to the cross, as I allow the spirit of life in Christ Jesus to raise me from death, I get to live in a newness, a newness of the spirit, a spirit-filled life. If you want to become a mature man or woman, more important, if you want to become a mature man or woman of God, you cannot avoid the cross. But the end of the cycle is the resurrection. And that is good news. That is good news. In fact, all of this is good news, to be honest with you. Christ living his life in me. Hallelujah. But before that happens... I have to desire it. Do I want that? Am I ready to deny myself? Are we ready to deny ourselves and take up our cross? Are we willing to die to ourselves and follow him? I am no longer living to myself. But Christ is living in me. If we lose our life, then we find it. And it's Christ Jesus who lives in us. It's glorious. I think we've said enough. There's more. There's more to this life. Jesus was the perfect example of laying down his life everywhere he went. Not only that, he understood people. He understood people. Jesus was confronted all the time. Did you know that? And they wanted to trick him. They wanted to find him. But he had a wisdom from on high. One time they had a woman that they'd caught in the act of adultery, the very act of adultery. They caught her. I wonder where he was. How many of you know it takes two to have adultery? But the woman was caught. The woman. Kind of like in our nation. The men want five wives, but they'll kill you if you have two husbands. Jesus do? 
See, he could have gone to the letter of the law. The Pharisees are there in their pristine garments with their phylacteries. Stone her, they're saying. What do you say, Jesus? They're trying to trap him. Jesus, Jesus lives in resurrection power. Do you know what he says? He says, you know, he says, and you know, after the sense, when you live in resurrection power, you're always looking for redemption. Nobody, I don't delight in the corruption of our nation. I'm looking for a ways to redeem even our most corrupt leaders. I'm saying, hey, guys, let's, let's find ways to turn the tide. Can we just build a great nation? We're all looking for great ways to solve problems. You know, we've, many people have brought lots of answers. But because, no, because corrupt people wouldn't let those answers take place, guess what? We don't get the job done. We could have solved the electricity problem 20 years ago. We had this, we had, this problem hasn't, this isn't now. This is 20 years ago. Jesus was redemptive. He saw the problem. He saw, ooh, I got a woman here. She's been thrown down in front of me. Everybody has a stone in their hand. What's redemptive and yet satisfies justice? He kneels down, writes in the sand. I don't know what he wrote in that sand, but I think it had to be something pretty powerful. They got it because he stood up. He says, okay, here's the deal. He said, let he who is out sin cast the first stone. <laughs> Says all the older men. They, they, they're, they're dropping their stones and walking away. And the younger zealous men who, you know, are really righteous. Because when you're young, you really are righteous. You, in fact, you know better than everybody. All those young people in that tent, they know better than their parents. I know that. You know. When you're 18, you are really, really, really smart. Let me tell you something. By the time you're 35, your parents must have been doing night school or something because they got smart overnight. That's what happened. Finally, they all dropped their stones and Jesus looked down and he says, now listen to what he said. He said, where are those who condemn you? She looks around and says, they're all gone. He says, Go and crucify your flesh. Sin, don't sin anymore. Put off the old. Put on the new. Become the right kind of woman. See, it's redemptive. God said, God's helping you and I. What was it? It was suffering that brought her to a place that she was just about to be killed. Instead, she died. To an old way of life and became resurrected in a new way of life. See, some of you got caught stealing a little bit so that you wouldn't be imprisoned for stealing a lot. Some of our politicians, I wish they would have got caught being stealing a little bit so that they wouldn't steal a lot. Now they do it with impunity. I didn't say anybody's name. You fill in the blanks. But that's, it's, we know what's happening. And we'll send out a, 
it wasn't about commissions and all kinds of things to persecute and prosecute somebody for $50 or $1,000 or $5,000 when millions on the other end of the table are being taken. This isn't right. But how do we hold that accountable? Well, some of you are in positions to do that. Some of you can speak. Some of you can identify with Christ and say, this isn't what we do for our nation. This isn't right. This isn't the Christian values that you grew up with in the mission school. This isn't the Christian values that we held dear at one time in our country. Where have we fallen to? Where have we gone to? How did we... Thanks for listening. For more teachings and videos, visit celebrationmen.org.